Thanks, worship team. That was um, well led this morning. God's doing something as always. I'm glad it's not just up to us uh, because it wouldn't be very good if it was just up to us. But the Holy Spirit's here and he's moving. Let me pray. Jesus, help me. Amen. Help them. Amen. Uh, it was a great um, word that Kate got up and shared. Um, she referenced Peter and the other guy, John. Uh, on their way somewhere, they came across a beggar, and through the power of Jesus, they healed that guy. And then Lance got up and shared a scripture. And he mentioned how the kingdom of heaven advances forcefully and that forceful men take hold of it. And you know what? There's this, this idea that the kingdom is moving and that Peter and John, they were on their way somewhere. They were moving. And that ministry happened as they went, as they were moving. And so we have this idea that... Um, God has designed us to be in momentum, to be moving somewhere. He's not designed us to be stagnant. Most of the story of Acts, and if you've been um, reading through Acts as we're doing a series, not that I'm really doing a series on Acts, but Russ is planning to, I think. <laughs> Most of Acts is about people going somewhere. The kingdom of heaven moving, advancing, momentum. And so for us to live is to be moving, and, and we feel it in our spirit when we're stagnant. We feel the, the discomfort of that or the unease. It's like a sailboat with no wind. It's not sinking, but it's not going anywhere. It's just bobbing around. And so as Christians, we can feel the pressure to get it right or to be doing something significant with our lives, with the time that Jesus has allocated here for us, to be making a difference. Amen? We feel that pressure. And, you know, uh, some years ago now, I was a youth pastor for a season, and one of the most common discussions I had with young people was centered around purpose. What am I going to do with my life? What's God saying? And they, they, we have a generation of people crippled by this fear of getting it wrong. And so we spend years doing nothing for fear of getting it wrong, waiting for the um, purpose to manifest itself in our life. This is the reason why most uh, youth-focused sermons focus around God's got a plan for your life. And you'll hear that theme over and over and over. But you know what? The bigger question is not, um, not that God has a plan for your life, but is your life for his plan? And that's the question we should be asking. And that's the sermon we should be preaching. Uh, you might have heard of a, a, a man called Bill Johnson. He's a global speaker and teacher. And uh, he was asked once, 
by somebody who said, how did you know when you were called into the ministry that you're in? What was that moment like? How do you know? And, and how did you hear that calling into ministry? And, and you know what he said? I'm still waiting to be called into ministry. And while I'm waiting, I'm just going to do this. Because we spend so much time searching or waiting for this calling or this, this divine moment or this download of, oh, that's my purpose and now I can step into it. You know what your calling is? I'm going to tell you what it is today. So you don't have to wait anymore. This is the download. Matthew 10, verse 7. As you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. There you go. Sermon's over. We're done. As you go, preach the kingdom, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. This is our calling. This is our calling as Christians. This is what God's asking us to do here on earth. This is why we're here. This is why when we get saved, we don't just get whisked up to heaven to be with him. This is why he leaves us here. So we can, as we go, preach the kingdom, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons in the name of Jesus. And you know what? You can... You can look at where do my interests lay? What are my passions? Because that's clues for where God, the path that God wants you to walk on. He puts those passions in us. We don't have to squash them down and, and do something that we think we, we don't really want to do, but we think that that's God's idea for us. Because it's not this idea of the secular world versus the ministry world, it's all ministry. Go wherever you want to go. Do whatever course it is you want to do. Take whatever job it is you want to do. Go wherever it is you want to go. And as you go, preach the kingdom. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out demons. Whatever you do is a vehicle for ministry. When, um, when I was youth pastoring, I had an old Land Rover. And if you've been familiar with an old Land Rover, you know that... You, once you have an old Land Rover, you never have any spare time. It's spent fixing the old Land Rover. And so one particular weekend, I had to pull the head of the engine off and replace my head gasket. And I felt the pressure of time. And I thought, oh, I really actually need to be doing ministry and reaching out to the young people that are in my care. And then it suddenly dawned on me, I could just ring a couple of them and get them over. And we could, I can do that and do ministry at the same time. And so they came over and we, we hung out and we pulled the Land Rover apart and ministry happened. And it, I, just, I just have this, it's probably not biblical, but this is my understanding, this is my belief, that if there's somebody um, who is passionate about going to Greenland to be a, a, a missionary, Let's say Barb is passionate about Greenland. She loves Greenland and she loves Jesus and she just wants to go to Greenland and be a missionary. And then you've got someone like Tim who's like, I, I hate Greenland. There's mosquitoes, it's cold, it's green. I don't want to go to Greenland. Which, which person's going to be more effective in Greenland as a missionary?
God puts the passions in our heart. He wants us to be saying, I, don't, I, I can't believe I get to do this. Oh, this is awesome. And so wherever we go, we get to, ministry just gets to happen as we go. Sometimes, though, he leads us to do something we don't want to do, but it's usually to reveal something hidden in our heart. Uh, but the beautiful thing is that God can change our heart. And so when we were called to move here to Tasmania, um, we were called, well, we were invited to come over and we said, no, don't want to go to Tasmania. We like it where we are. Thank you. Thank you very much. And so we stayed where we were in New Zealand, in paradise, a beautiful place called Golden Bay. It's just a magical place. Not magical in the sense of magic, you know what I mean. <laughs> Anyway, um, and so some years later, we got invited again, and we prayed about it. And God showed supernaturally that, yes, he wanted us to come. But it was the, the issue was, I don't mind going anywhere, but I have to know, is it okay that I can leave? Because we were involved in the church. We'd owned a house. I was in the middle of an apprenticeship, and I had a full-time job. And we were invested in our community we were part of it and we loved it. We had plans and dreams. And so when God started telling us to come over, we said, God, you have to let us know it's okay to just leave all this behind. And he started working on our heart. So by the time we came to leave, that stuff didn't have a hold on our heart anymore. We were okay to let it go and excited about what God had for us. See, God can work on your heart. God can change your heart. And as you let him lead you, he'll take you to where he wants you. Here at Redemption Hills Church, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. I want everyone to point to the person next to them and stay pointing while we read this out. Thanks, Tony. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Hopefully someone was pointing at you, because it's you. We are a priesthood of all believers. And as the priesthood of all believers, it's our responsibility to minister to one another and beyond. In 2 Corinthians 3, verse 4, it says, And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves. So get over yourselves. It's not about you. But our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. He makes us sufficient as a minister of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So it's God himself who calls us, who equips us as ministers. It's nothing to do with our skill, our talent, or our ability. We're just putting that out there. You don't have to have the skill of standing up here and holding a mic and saying some stuff off a page. You don't have to have that skill to be a minister. But there is something about your skills, talents, and abilities. They have a bearing on where you minister. If you have the skill, talent, or ability to be a doctor, 
guess where you get to minister? Wherever doctors go. (laughs) Hospitals and clinics. But get this, places that I don't have access to. If you have the skills, talents and abilities to fix engines or to build houses or to vacuum carpets, you are going to get access to places and as you go into those places, you have opportunity to minister. We're all called to minister. Matthew 10 verse 7 says, And as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. What have we received? It's the Holy Spirit. And it's by his power that we preach the kingdom. It's by his power that we heal the sick. It's by his power that we cast out demons. And so we've been talking about ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about that over the last sort of several months And we're familiar with this idea of the Holy Spirit empowering us to do supernatural things like um, healing. We see healing take place. That's a supernatural thing. That's, that's, we can't do that in the natural. Or, or we see um, the prophetic break out and happen in, in the church. And, and we know that that's a supernatural thing. We can't do that in the natural. But we also have to understand that we're called to minister the message of the kingdom in the power of the Holy Spirit that there's something supernatural that God wants to do in that message. Acts chapter 6, verse 2, and I mentioned this briefly last week. um, Then the twelfth summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom whom we may appoint. Over this business. The disciples picked men who are full of the Holy Spirit to wait on tables. Why? Because God wants to add his super to our natural. You know, healing supernatural by nature, we get that. But his Holy Spirit also wants to work through what we consider to be natural activities. Waiting on tables. God wants what was designed to be a mundane activity can now become a supernatural encounter with the living God. You might think, oh, well, it's just my job to vacuum a carpet. But he can take that with his Holy Spirit and it can become a supernatural encounter for someone. We need the Holy Spirit in everything that we do. Mark 16. Verse 20, and they went out and preached everywhere and the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. So there's something about preaching the kingdom, which is one of the things we are called to do as we go. Not just to, it's not just a self-help seminar. There's something supernatural happening. That you're preaching the kingdom in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you're saying, but I'm no good at speaking. I don't know the words. I don't know what to say. You know what? There's only so much that inflection, intonation, vocal control, and funny stories can achieve. I've heard preaching with none of those things, but it's full of the power of the Holy Spirit. 
that's what's important. I've had the Holy Spirit speak to me in the middle of, a, of hearing someone preach, and it wasn't even connected with anything that they were saying. We need the Holy Spirit. And if we're going to preach the kingdom, he needs to be part of that, speaking through us. It's not about your skills, talents, or abilities. Exodus 4, verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant. Sounds pretty eloquent to me, just by the way. Anyway, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And the Lord said to him, Hey, buddy, who made your mouth? If I've given you a mouth and an ability to speak, don't you think I could give you the words that I need you to say? The Johan paraphrase edition. <laughs> Jeremiah 1, verse 6. This is for all the young people in here, myself and all the other young people. Uh, then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. It's not about your position and not about how experienced you are, not about how trained you are, not about how much knowledge you are, because wherever you go, wherever you are, God has actually sent you there. And whatever he commands you, you shall speak. You don't need to worry about the words. You know that story that um, Kate touched on about Peter and John healing the, the beggar in the name of Jesus. As a result of that, they were dragged before the council of elders. And they were getting told off and asked to explain themselves. And Peter stands up in Acts 4 verse 8 and he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And he starts to talk full of the Holy Spirit. He's sharing the message of the kingdom full of the Holy Spirit. And the result is in verse 13. And it says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. It's not about how much knowledge you have, how much trained you are, how clever you are. It's about the Holy Spirit working through you and allowing him to do so. The thing is that Jesus prophesied this exact scenario back in uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 19. And Jesus is saying, but when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. So how are we to do it? You know, Peter had no um, pre-prepared sermon ready. But he, he does, it happens to him again when he's in... Um, Joppa, I think. He has a vision. And Cornelius is asking him, uh, well, Cornelius is praying to God and, and Cornelius, sorry, let me get the story straight. <laughs> Peter gets a vision that some people are going to come and invite him somewhere. And so the vision ends and there's these people at the door saying, can you come to our master Cornelius? He wants to see you. And so Peter goes, okay, I'll go. And and so he goes somewhere, again, momentum, something moving. And he goes to Cornelius and says to Cornelius, why am I here? And Cornelius said, I had a vision to invite you to come. And you were going to preach to us. 
And then Peter stands up and he has no pre-prepared sermon. So what does he do? In Acts chapter 10, 34, he opens his mouth. That's where it started. Because that verse could just say, then Peter said. But it doesn't. It says, then Peter opened his mouth. And then the rest came. And you know what? Sometimes we just have to open our mouth. What's the result of what happened? Verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. If the Holy Spirit has set up an encounter for you, as you go, then he is responsible for what you'll say and he's also responsible for how it is received. You don't ever have to walk away from an encounter saying, oh, I didn't get that right, oh, I said the wrong word or I didn't have the right answers that I needed. Because we're just responsible for opening our mouth and allowing ourselves to partner with God's plan. He's not going to force you to open your mouth, by the way. That's our decision. That's our point of partnership, is that we choose to open our mouth and allow the Holy Spirit to work through us, preach the message of the kingdom. And it's based on faith in who God is. And so as we learn to partner with the Holy Spirit, is learning that the result of that partnership is up to Him. It's, it's just our job to open our mouth. It's just our job to lay hands and pray for someone for healing. It's not our job to heal them. We partner with, with God by, by laying on of hands and praying. The result is up to God. Same with a prophetic word. Now there's two curious verses in the Bible uh, about Abraham. I want to just briefly have a look at these. The first one's in Isaiah. But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. And the other one is, i to tell you where it is, James 2.23. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. I've always been curious about this because we see the fathers of the faith in Hebrews and we read through them all. <clears throat> and for me, I'm thinking, well, isn't Noah the father of the faith? I mean, to, to do what he did, now that's some faith, like, like to build an ark and for it to take 100 years and, and then to you know, get all the animals on two by two and et cetera, et cetera. Why, why does Abraham get all the credit? Why isn't Noah the father of the faith? Because Noah had faith, it says he was righteous, it says he walked with God, it said he and obeyed his commands. But Abraham gets called the friend of God. What does it mean to be a friend of God? In Genesis 12, verse 8, it says, And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west, and Adobe Illustrator on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. If you're listening on the tape, you're like, what did he just say? Now, the interesting thing about this verse <clears throat> is it is the first recorded time in the Bible where 
Abraham or Abram calls out to God. And it's actually the basis for the understanding that we can have relationship with God. Because if you look at Noah, even though he had faith, even though he was righteous, even though he walked with God and obeyed his commands, it never says in the Bible anywhere that he ever spoke to God. He was always receiving a command and obeying. Receiving a command and obeying. Receiving a command and obeying. Was told what to do and obeyed. Whereas Abraham or Abram looked to God for guidance and inquired of him, not merely waited for instruction. See, we're more than servants. We're called to be friends with God. He was the first person to partner with God's plan. He was the first person after the fall of God to fall of man to connect with God in a relationship. Not as a servant through fear, but as a man with a desire to be close to God. John 15, 15 says this, I no, I no, long, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. We get to be part of his plan. We get to inquire of him. You see, there's this Moses, uh, Noah is in this servant mindset, just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Whereas Abram is in the friend mindset. God, what are you doing? God, what are you doing? There's a difference there. And so many of us can live in that servant mindset. Well, if God wants me to do something, he knows where I am. He can just let me know. Otherwise, I'm just going to carry on doing the thing that I'm doing. God connects to us relationally, relationally, and we see that through the person of Jesus. Jesus is our Lord and our friend, and we live in the tension of those two truths. He doesn't command us to serve, but he reveals his nature to us, and we desire him, and we love because he first loved us. And we get to interact with each other the same way that God interacts with us. You know, relational connections are much more powerful than servant-master connections. The hierarchical church model depends on the master-servant relationship. But we believe the only master in charge of the church is Jesus, and he calls us his friends. So you might notice we don't have a stage We, uh, we don't preface leadership with the word pastor. We don't have a trained and rostered on team of disciples. Uh, you're it, just so you know. Because we understand that discipleship happens through relationship, not in a formal classroom setting. I love chatting with Jack. Jack's sitting down the back there, had a chat with him last week. Because every time I chat with Jack, I learn something of living a lifestyle of faith. Through that relationship that I have with Jack, a transaction takes place. I get a little of what God has given him. 
And so I encourage us all to build and increase our relational connections because there's Jesus in each of us and it's not a one-way transaction. We get to disciple one another. I get what God has given you and, and you get what God has given me and in relationship, iron sharpens iron and we grow together. Isn't that beautiful? So our pastoral care strategy here relies on everyone having a relationship with everyone else. We don't have a rostered team of pastoral care people. Ah, oh, well, I'm on roster today. I better be caring. I mean, it's my day to be caring. <laughs> we want real relationships. And you're asking me the question, ah, but how do you stop people falling through the cracks? This is how you stop people falling through the cracks. Hello, my name's Johan. How are you going? What's God been doing in your life? That's how we do it. We form relationship. Plenty of time after the service. And if you feel like you're one of those people falling through the cracks, you know what the answer is? Go up to someone and say, hi, my name is Johan. What's God doing in your life? Real relationships. And you know, whenever I do that, the beautiful thing is I find out that they've probably been usually been coming for a number of months, that they know several people, that they're going to a home group. And if they're not, you can invite them. So as you go, preach the kingdom, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Consider the place that you're in, the spheres of influence, the church where Jesus has added you. Because there's purpose in all of it. And until he sends you somewhere else, you are already where he has sent you. So inquire of the Lord, like Abraham. Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing here in this moment, in this place? Open your mouth. Pray for healing. Or come alongside in comfort. Whatever he's doing, you can partner with him. Let me pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you are our source for everything and that you call us your friends, that we don't need to be concerned or worried about where we are or if we're doing the right thing or if we're fulfilling our purpose because we know that in you, you are our purpose. And as we focus on you, you lead our steps, you guide our steps. And as we go, help us to release more of your Holy Spirit around us into people's lives that we may preach the kingdom, heal the sick, see those oppressed set free. In Jesus' name, amen.